There's this somewhat famous atheist named Richard Dawkins. You might have seen him on TV. Um, you might have read even him, his interviews of his or his books that he's published, but he is understandably being an atheist. He's a critic of religion in general. And a, a while ago, I came across his criticism of the idea of faith. He said, faith is a cop-out. It's this great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. And so he sees faith as this blind uh, belief, this blind acceptance of religious doctrine without any reason or evidence behind it. And I'll say this, if faith is that, then he's right to ridicule it. However, his contemptuous view of faith, it's a good example of how he would do better to stick to biology rather than philosophy and theology, because he fundamentally misunderstands a very basic concept of our Catholic Christian faith, a concept that's been around for two millennia and hasn't changed that much, and one that is made apparent at the beginning of our second reading. Faith is the realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, as we heard in that second reading. But before we get into the second reading, let's look at faith. You know, there's an old saying, seeing is believing. And it means, all right, if you want me to accept something, I need to see it with my own two eyes. Seeing is believing. But the truth is, no one can really live their life entirely by that old proverb. Seeing is believing. Because... On a human level, on a natural level, we all live by faith. What do I mean by that? Faith, on the human natural level, simply means accepting what another person has said is true. Accepting something is true based on the testimony of another. And we simply can't function if we don't do that. Let me give you kind of an everyday example. About six, seven weeks ago, I took my car in for ordinary routine repairs. I even sat in the mechanic's little waiting room, expecting to wait about 20 minutes. But he comes after maybe five minutes and says, um, we need to do some serious work on your car. There's a couple things wrong that you didn't know about. We really wouldn't recommend you drive your car till we do this, and this is gonna be pretty costly. Now, I'm not an expert about on cars. I mean, most of us aren't. We, can't be an expert when it comes to everything. That's why we take our cars to mechanics. And I told them, fine, do what you need to do. I'll get by. I'll find a way to, to take care of what I need to take care of because I trust this mechanic. He's one my family has used for decades. And over that time, he's earned our trust. That's an act of human faith. I didn't demand that he demonstrate and verify that my car had these problems. I probably wouldn't have understand it, understood it had he taken me through bit by bit all the details. I trust him. It's an act of human faith. 
And we do this all the time. That's why we see doctors. That's why uh, we go to restaurants where people cook really good meals. That's why we see lawyers when we have legal trouble or accountants or fill in the blank. People who have an expertise that we don't and we accept what they say is true because they've given us some reason to trust them. All of us live by this human faith, even atheists like Richard Dawkins. But of course, our second reading isn't talking about this human natural faith, it's talking about supernatural faith. The faith by which we believe all that God has revealed to us is true, that faith. What's the difference between supernatural faith and human faith? It's the witness. The reason we believe what God has revealed to us to be true is because God himself has revealed it. God who cannot deceive nor be deceived. God who is alone most worthy of our trust. If we're willing to trust human mechanics or human doctors or fill in the blank, if we're willing to do that, then of course it may only make sense that we would be willing to trust God who cannot deceive nor be deceived. St. Thomas Aquinas has this line. He says, God speaks truly or else nothing is true. God cannot deceive nor be deceived. And so because God is above all else trustworthy, when he reveals something to us, we accept it, firmly believe it is true. Now, the skeptic might say, okay, fine, I'll grant you that if God speaks, God who cannot deceive nor be deceived, that it's with absolute certitude we know it's true. But how do we know God has spoken? How do we know God has revealed himself to us? Through the sacred scriptures, through our Catholic faith. I would say this, God has given us his credentials, so to speak. He's given us reasons for believing the technical term is motives of credibility. He's verified for us that it's him speaking. And these are really pretty simple. There are three basic categories. He's worked miracles that only he could do. Things that aren't naturally possible. But because nothing's impossible for God, we know it's him that's at work. Prophecies that have been fulfilled... The Bible is full of them. The Old Testament has hundreds, if not thousands, of prophecies that have been fulfilled. Humans don't know the future. God knows all. So if a prophet, centuries before, speaks of some future event, we know it's God who's inspired him, God who's at work. And then we have the endurance of the people of God, first with Israel and then with the church. You know, this People of God who throughout salvation history, we seem to always shoot ourselves in the foot, trip over ourselves. We're sinful people. If this were a human enterprise, it would have fallen apart a long time ago. But because God's grace and action is at work, because the church is a divine institution, because he's gathered together this people, we've endured in spite of ourselves. You know, our second reading is about faith, and it upholds Abraham to us as this model of faith. He is our father in faith. But I would also say that you see a hint of these three motives of credibility, these three reasons for belief in this second reading. What are 
Where do we see these in our second reading? Well, first, miracle. The miracle is this child of promise. Abraham is an old man. He's 75. His wife, Sarah, is 66. They have no children. God speaks to him and promises that his seed will bless all nations. And they have to wait 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled, but it is with this child, Isaac. So if you do the math, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 91. Naturally, that's not possible. Just like a virgin birth's not possible. Just like resurrection from the dead's not possible. But nothing's impossible for God. These miracles are signs that it's God speaking. Prophecies that have been fulfilled. We see that in Isaac too, right? You know, 25 years prior, God promises that, you know, his seed will bless all nations. He has this child 25 years later. But really, how were all nations blessed through Abraham's seed? It wasn't directly with Isaac. It was centuries, millennia down the road with Jesus Christ, who by his cross and resurrection redeemed us. And not just the chosen people of Israel, redeemed all peoples and offered salvation to all nations, to all people under the sun. And then, of course, we see the, the perseverance of the people of God. There's this great line in the second reading. It says, So it was that there came forth from one man, himself as good as dead, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sands on the seashore. You know, this shows us this people that God has brought from Abraham's fidelity. That's all of us. All of us are his descendants in faith. And we've endured down through the ages, not because of how good we are, but because of how good God is, that he's been with us despite our sinfulness. And so this second reading, it doesn't just hold up Abraham as a model of our faith, but it gives us these reasons why we have faith in the first place. These motives of credibility for believing that it's God who's truly spoken. Even still, these, these reasons for belief, they're not a silver bullet for a culture that increasingly doesn't believe. And that's because God's grace is always needed for us to make that act of divine faith. We need his grace to accept what he has revealed as true. And so, as we continue with Mass, let's pray that our own faith may be strengthened. Let's pray that it may be sustained and nourished. And let's pray for the grace to spark and renew the faith of our brothers and sisters who no longer believe. May the grace of God, who cannot deceive nor be deceived, give all of us the faith to persevere unto eternal life.